I'll be reading John 7, beginning at verse 25. We are with Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Celebration, the reminder of God's covenant promises that he has kept to his people in the past, and the promise then of Jesus standing and making himself known as the true Messiah, the King of Israel. Here we have Jesus publicly reveal himself, and yet his identity challenged. Listen to the Word of God. John chapter 7, I'll begin reading at verse 25. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're, talk they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Christ? But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I'm not here on my own, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him, because I am from him, and he sent me. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his time had not yet come. Still many in the crowd put their faith in him. They said, When the Christ comes... Will he do more miraculous signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. And Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Christ. Still others asked, How can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the Scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus, the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to, to, wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. I invite you to bow your heads as I pray. Lord, we hear your word. We hear the announcement from Jesus of the promise that if we come, if we put our trust in him, then he will save. He will pour out his spirit. Your promises will be fulfilled in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray today for those who ask the questions the crowd asks. Who is this Jesus? Could he be the Christ? Could he really offer what he promises? Lord, for those who come with, with doubts, with fears, with anxieties, Lord, I pray that they would find comfort and truth in your word. Lord, I pray that you would transform us by the hearing of your word, that, that by looking and listening, by your spirit at work within us, we would follow after fervently, devotedly, Jesus our Savior, that we would see who He is, the mission that He has, and that we would come 
giving praise and honor to Jesus the King. We pray in his name. Amen. All right, the challengers are bringing really two questions here to Jesus. Where did you come from? Where did you go? All right, now you, you maybe are already hearing the dilemma I had in my sermon prep this week. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did I had that song stuck in my head all week. But it actually really is a great sermon outline. Now, maybe you have not heard that terrible song from the years that I was in high school. If you went to a wedding any time in the last 20 years, you've probably heard that song. Now, the surprising thing, while that is an American folk tune, it was made popular by a Swedish techno band pretending to be Americans. Their name was Rednecks with an X at the end, really mocking all of America, I think, in that. But, you know, what do you, how do you get rid of a, a song like that? Where did you come from? Where did you go? How do you get rid of it? Well, one of the ways to get rid of an earworm is listen to the whole thing. So that's what I did. I Googled it. But interestingly, they didn't write the song. Now, you probably figured that out. It's a 19th century folk song. It has a better tune in previous versions. Probably a pre-Civil War song sung by the... The, the slaves in the American South, a song that then, then caught on in the late 19th century, a song sung at hoedowns, at square dances. And it really is asking that question, where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Because who is Cotton Eye Joe? He's this mysterious charmer who shows up in town and steals the singer's girl. It's a song of heartbreak. Who is this mysterious man who has just showed up on the scene? question that echoes across not only American history, but, but a question really that echoes here. Who is this man who has arrived? All right, so as terrible as it is, I'm going to let rednecks, you give us an outline. All right? Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? We'll just change it. Jesus, my Lord. All right? So that's what we're going to do. Where did you come from? That's the, the question that's asked. And, and you and I, we've sung the Christmas carols, so we know the answer. Oh, little town of? Right. You know where Jesus is from. He's from Bethlehem. And so, and, well, so do the people here, too, right? They say that in verse 42. So when they ask this question, look back at verse 26. As they're, as they're wrestling with, with, isn't the man they're trying to kill? Haven't the authorities really concluded he's the Christ? Look at verse 27. But we know where this man is from. When the Christ comes, no one will know where he is from. But wait, in verse 42, they tell us they know where he's from. He's going to be from Bethlehem. So it's not, it's not really a question of geography here. It's a question of timing. Because there was this popular idea in the first century among the Jews that when the Messiah arrives, his revealing the Messiah, the promised Christ of the Old Testament. That's not Jesus' last name. That's a title given to him by the Bible. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the promised King of Israel. So there was this popular idea that when the Messiah arrives, everyone would obviously know it. Because when he is revealed, he will be revealed to be the true king. The king who comes with conquering armies. The king who will throw off the shackles of Rome. And so when they ask this question, we, we know where he's from. It's really this question about timing. Why, 
why hasn't the kingdom arrived? If Jesus is the Christ, he's been wandering around Galilee for a couple of years now. Yes, we've seen some miracles, miracles that, that they will even admit. These are as great as we would have expected the Christ to bring. We saw that at verse 31. When the Christ comes, will he do more miraculous signs than this? And the, the form of the question says, is telling us to answer it, no. Not even the Messiah himself will, will do the miracles of Jesus, but, but this can't be the Messiah. We know where he's from. He's been wandering around in Galilee. He is not the king because he doesn't fit their expectations. The king who will conquer Rome, the military hero, a warrior. And so what are your expectations for God to reveal himself, to make himself known? What are, what are your expectations about Jesus? Because none of us, even if this is the first time you've ever opened a Bible, the first time you've heard the name Jesus, all of us come with expectations about how we want the world to go, how we would want God to intervene, how we would like God to make himself known. And if you've lived in this country for any length of time, then, then you probably have a sense that, well, there's a safe Jesus, a Jesus who, who offers us a religion that's, that's really based on, on what I feel works for me, a Jesus who doesn't, who doesn't come demanding truth, who doesn't come saying things like, the one who sent me is true, is real, is the, the, the king. No, see, we want, we want Jesus to be just one way among many to get to God. Yes, we're willing to let Jesus step into the scene and offer us some teaching, but we'll pick and choose. I mean, what are your expectations about Jesus? For the Jews, they expected a, a king to come conquering, and so this can't be the Messiah. But maybe you shrug it off as well. This, this can't be the promised king of Israel. What are your expectations for Jesus? Well, so we see the response then that the people have, the, the religious leaders. Look at verse 30. At this, they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Well, why? Why now? Why are they trying to seize Jesus? He's, he's already challenged them. We saw last week in verse 19 that, he, that he's throwing out that, that claim, that challenge. Why are you trying to kill me? And then we, we read in verses 26, we, we read in verses 26 and 27 that the people are, are, are muttering, isn't this the one they're trying to kill? But, but they're not doing it. They're not willing to, to publicly come and arrest Jesus. But, but what changes then in verse 30? At this, they tried to seize him. Because he answers that question, where is Jesus from? And the answer is not so much concerned about the geography that he comes to us from heaven, but it's who sent him on, whose authority is he here? He, he cries out to them in the temple. He's, he's teaching, and he, he might hear the, the people muttering, but he, but he cries out in verse 28, you know me, you know where I'm from. Yes, it's true. I grew up in Galilee. That's where my ministry has been. But I am not here on my own. He who sent me is true. He who sent me is real, the, the God of the universe, but you don't really know him. I know him because I'm from him, and he sent me. See, this is a claim of divine authority. He is here on God's authority. That's what riles them up. That, and he's challenging them and saying, you claim to be the religious leaders leading worship here in the temple, but you don't even know the God who sent the Messiah. 
You're ignoring the truth of what God has made known, and so they try to seize him, but they can't. I mean, verse 30, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. What time? What time are we waiting for in the Gospel of John? What's the anticipation here? It's the cross. The time for the cross had not yet come, but we are mere months away now. This is the the final scene as we move into in John's Gospel. This is the confrontation. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He has come to give his life, and so they're trying to seize him. Then look. Look at verse 31. Still, many in the crowd put their faith in him. They're recognizing, even if, they, even if they can't yet put it into words of who he is, they don't, they don't yet recognize that he is the Christ because they're still expecting the Christ, the promised king, to come. But they realize that, that even when the Christ comes, he won't do more than Jesus has already done. The great miraculous signs, people are beginning to respond to Jesus. They're putting their faith in him. Where did you come from? From the Father in heaven to give myself for you. All right, now that second question, where did you go? Because the Pharisees, look at verse 32, they, they hear the crowd whispering. They, they see that some are beginning to, to question, could he be the Christ? He has done the miraculous signs of the Christ. And so, verse 32, the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. They're not merely going to pull him off to the side. They're going to they're get the priest designated to protect the temple, to protect the honor of God. They will arrest him. He cannot stand here and challenge their authority. He can't say, you don't know God in heaven, but claim to be from God in heaven. It can't be tolerated. And so Jesus, again, verse 33, challenges them. I'm with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now, they think Jesus is just playing hide-and-seek. That where will he hide that we can't find him? Where could he go? The temple courts aren't all that big. And everywhere Jesus goes, there's a crowd following him. His teaching is being done here in public. And you almost see the irony that John is giving us. Jesus will stand, and repeatedly we're told, and say in a loud voice, Jesus is publicly announcing who he is, and yet what are the religious leaders doing? They're they're murmuring, they're whispering, they're working behind the scenes. They won't even publicly declare Jesus to be a false teacher yet. But yet they're working to try and capture him, and Jesus says, you can't. And then the, the irony continues when they ask in verse 35, where does he intend to go that we can't find him? Will he go where our people have scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? Like, will he go out among the Jews that have been dispersed throughout the empire? Is that where he's going to go hide? And the answer to their question is an assumed, well, no, he's not. Nowhere could he go. But you see, John's answer is, well, yes. Where will the message of Jesus the Christ go? Even, even among the Greeks is where the gospel message will go. To the very ends of the earth, Jesus is the king of all. I mean, John is, is, is showing us here that the, the religious leaders think one thing, but it's really entirely the opposite. They're saying, wait, what, he's going to go among the Greeks? Yes, he will go among the Greeks. No, Jesus won't physically go. He's here in Jerusalem. But after his resurrection, he will pour out his spirit, his people, his followers, his church will go. And so where did, where did he come from? He came from heaven. 
to give his life, where did he go? He will go to the ends of the earth. But more than that, he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Because Jesus is the one who, when glorified, will return to heaven. And so he's telling, if, he's telling them, if you don't believe in me, if you don't find me, then you cannot come with me. You will be shut out from heaven. But, but these are the religious leaders. These are the people here for the feast. They are following the Old Testament commands. Surely they are counted among the righteous, right? But Jesus says, no. No, you cannot come. When you go looking for me, you won't find me. Now, that sounds strange to us because the promises of Scripture say that, that if you seek after God, you will find him. But what is Jesus saying? If you trust in yourself, if you exalt yourself, then you will not find salvation. You will not find hope. And so there is an irony here. Again, you will not find me even though I am standing right here. You will not find the truth because you will not listen, even though I'm telling you right now what the truth is. I mean, what would it take? What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah? If you come with questions and doubts today, what would it take? Now, with, with flooding in the news this week, I was, I was reminded of that, that old saying, you, you, and you already know the punchline. A man caught in rising waters, but, but prays to God that the Lord would rescue him. So a neighbor comes by in a canoe, and he says, well, well no, no thanks. I've, I've prayed to God. He will rescue me. The police come in a, in a boat to rescue the man. No, 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 no thanks. I've prayed to God. He will rescue me. The, the Coast Guard sends a helicopter. No, no, I've prayed to God. He will rescue me. And then you know the punchline. The man finds himself in heaven, and what does God say? When the man complains, why didn't you answer my prayer? I did answer your prayer. I sent a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. I mean, what would it take for you to believe? Jesus stands and publicly declares who he is. What would it take for you to believe? What would it take for you to put your trust in God, for God to come down from heaven and stand and declare to you that he is the promised king? That Jesus would come from heaven and humble himself and give his life for you? What would it take for you to believe? So you and I can throw up intellectual questions and challenges, and I'm not saying that those questions aren't important. Questions about what has gone wrong in the world, why am I here? What, and, and so come, Wednesday nights. We're starting this again this Wednesday for Faith Explored. Come and join us. Those questions are important, but sometimes we throw up questions so that we don't have to get answers. But what would it take for you to believe in Jesus? Would it take him coming and speaking to you? Would it take him sending his apostles to bring the gospel message to you? Would it take the king of glory giving his life for you? So you and I are meant to listen to God on his own terms. And there is that warning then that when you look for me, you will not find me. See, if you come demanding that God answer only your own questions in your way, then you haven't humbled yourself before the truth of Jesus Christ. Where did you come from? Jesus came from heaven. Where is he going? He's returning to heaven, but by way of the cross. Jesus will be glorified. And then we have this truth that Jesus is the Lord. Look at verse 37. These are verses which J.C. Ryle, that, that preacher of the, the 19th century, says deserve to be printed in letters of gold. Listen, listen to Jesus' 
response. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Here is the great invitation from Jesus, the Savior, come to me. See, if you go seeking after me on your own terms and in your own ways, you will not find me. But come now, Jesus is inviting us, come to me. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. And it's, it's not a surprise then that this is on the last and greatest day of the feast, because on this feast, this Feast of Tabernacles, which is, yes, the image you should have in your head of the Feast of Tabernacles is people making little tents, little structures, and then sleeping out under them. A reminder that for these seven days of the feast, with the eighth day, the Sabbath still to come, that on these days they're remembering that the people of God were, were wandering in the wilderness. But, but as part of this festival, there were symbols of water added. Because God is the God who gave water from the rock who provided for the people in the desert. Zechariah, the, one of the last prophets of the Old Testament, talks of the, the, the Feast of the Tabernacles in his very last chapter, and he, he describes it as, as this is the, the promise when God will pour out water on his people. And so in the centuries before Jesus' time, the priests had added a ritual where they took a, a golden bucket and in a great procession left the temple courts and went, went south to the pool of Siloam and gathered water there from the springs and in great ceremony brought the water back up to the temple. And so Jesus, probably letting the people watch this ceremony take place, the, the high priest bringing water into the temple courts now stands and says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, in a loud voice for all to hear, to overcome the shouts of the people, the cry of the, the high priest, Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Jesus is telling us that he is the promised fulfillment of all the promises given in the Feast of the Tabernacles. He is the one who, who leads God's people. He is the water poured out for them. He is the one who will meet their deepest needs and their thirsts. Jesus fulfills all that this feast signifies. He is the living water given for them to find life, eternal life. And streams of water then will flow from within those who put their trust in Christ. And, and then you notice what, what John, he can't contain himself in verse 39. Remember, we are here at the, as the tension is being ratcheted up. We're, we're moving toward Jesus' death. We're, we're seeing the, the people oppose, oppose Jesus. But, but John, he can't resist letting you in on the end of the story already. It's too great. It's too powerful a moment. Jesus has just stood and said, come to me, all you who thirst. And John says, because remember, Remember, Jesus is the one who pours out his spirit on his church. Jesus is the glorified and risen king of glory who gives the promised spirit of God. He keeps the promises of God from the Old Testament that when you wander, when you are lost, when you are trapped in your sin, God is with you. 
God will not abandon you. But he gives us a greater and future promise, the promise of the pouring out of God's Spirit, that future promise that that God will be with his church forever. That's what Jesus is saying. And John, even though we're only in chapter 7, he can't help but let us in on the picture of the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus offers to you today salvation. The promise of eternal life, if you put your trust in him, if you believe in him. And this language of thirst in Scripture, it's not, it's not merely limited to that physical desire, although it's a strong physical desire. It refers to, in the, in the Scriptures, the things that we desire, we long for, that our hearts chase after, the things that we say, I have to have this. And J.C. Ryle, again, speaking about the people to whom he preached in the 19th century, says, we thirst after money, pleasure, honor, rank, self-indulgence. Well, that list sounds like it fits us pretty well a century and a half later. We are people who chase after money and pleasure and honor and power and self-indulgence. And yet those things, they can never fully satisfy I mean, just think of the power that's on display here in John chapter 7. The leaders, the the high priest, the priests of Israel, the religious leaders, they have the power to call in armed guards to arrest Jesus. They have the power to stand up and publicly declare who, who Jesus is. But they fear losing their power so they don't even really use it. They won't make public what they think about Jesus. I mean, verse 26 is showing us the the people are thinking, Jesus is speaking publicly, and yet what are the leaders doing about this? Because if you use your power, then it could be lost. And so if power becomes something that you have to keep, then you fear even using it. But even worse than that, their power here, I mean, the, the irony of this, this passage is the power they think they have is really impotence. Send armed guards against the king of the universe. These men with spears and swords and shackles are going to stop the eternal plan of God? No, that's not what power looks like. No, power looks like Jesus standing and saying, I have come from heaven with the authority of God to give my life, and nothing can stop this plan. See, Jesus uses his power for your good. Jesus humbled himself and gave himself for you. And so today, you might not come with with questions or doubts or obstacles. You might just come in brokenness and think, but me? Jesus invites me to come? No, surely not me. Not with where I have walked and where I have been, not in the brokenness of who I am, not me. I don't deserve to stand here. I don't deserve to come. I don't don't deserve the gift of God's Spirit. Maybe today you stand in brokenness and sorrow and sadness, and so hear the voice of Jesus Christ saying to you in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, because he is the Savior broken for you. His power used to purchase your forgiveness. Jesus, the Savior, gave himself for you and so invites you today to come.
And so how will you respond? We see the responses in this passage. Look at verse 40. On hearing Jesus' words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. The prophet like Moses of Deuteronomy 18 who comes speaking the true words of God. Surely this man is the great prophet. Others say in verse 41, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised king and rescuer of Israel, the king whose time is coming. Yes, they try and seize him here and cannot, but there will come a day in mere months when Jesus will allow himself to be arrested and led to the cross. Jesus is the giver of the Spirit, the one who pours out his Spirit on the church. Jesus is the one who sends his church then with the good news of the gospel to the very ends of the earth to preach the gospel even among the Greeks. Jesus invites you today to come. But yet the people here in Chapter 7 are divided. Some want to seize him and be done with him. How will you respond to this invitation? Where did you come from? From heaven to do the Father's will. Where did you go? Jesus will return to heaven. After giving his life on the cross, Jesus will be glorified. Where did you come from? Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, the true prophet who speaks the words of God. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, who gave himself for us. And so hear the words of Jesus. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let me pray for us today. Lord, we, we hesitate to respond. Some of us having heard this message even since childhood, we hesitate to respond because of what we fear it will cost us. But Lord, let us come in humility, admitting our sin, our brokenness, giving our lives to Jesus the Christ. Lord, we pray for those that, that have questions which linger. Lord, that they would come and join us on Wednesday evenings for Faith Explored. Lord, I pray that you would, you would send us, even in these, in these days before Wednesday, those who have put their trust in Christ, that we would think of those in our lives who need an invitation, who need to hear the truth that Jesus is the promised Christ. Lord, give us a boldness today, tomorrow and Tuesday, to invite them to join us. Lord, we want to respond in faith to receive the promises that you have given. And so, Lord, we come to give up the, the idols of our hearts, the things we have chased after, the desires that we have thought would, would satisfy us. Let us come to Jesus, the one with all power and authority. Let us come and find our trust and our hope and our forgiveness in him. Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.